Hello and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Rich Cochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a lot of words in a confusing order that say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work cut out already. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing To His Coy Mistress, written by Andrew Marvel. Had we but world enough and time, this coyness lady were no crime. We would sit down and think which way to walk and pass our long love's day. Thou, by the Indian Ganges side, should rubies find. I, by the tide of Humber, would complain. I would love you ten years before the flood, and you should, if you please, refuse till the conversion of the Jews. My vegetable love should grow vaster than empires and more slow. An hundred years should go to praise thine eyes, and on thy forehead gaze. Two hundred to adore each breast, but thirty thousand to the rest. An age at least to every part, and the last age should show your heart. For lady, you deserve this state, nor would I love at lower rate. But at my back I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near, and yonder all before us lie deserts of vast eternity. Thy beauty shall no more be found, nor in thy marble vault shall sound my echoing song. Then worms shall try that long-preserved virginity, and your quaint honour turn to dust, and into ashes all my lust. The graves are fine and private place, but none, I think, do there embrace. Now, therefore, while the youthful hue sits on thy skin like morning dew, and while thy willing soul transpires at every pore with instant fires, Now let us sport us while we may, and now, like amorous birds of prey, rather at once our time devour than languish in his slow-chapped power. Let us roll all our strength and all our sweetness up into one ball, and tear our pleasures with rough strife through the iron gates of life. Thus, though we cannot make our son stand still, yet we will make him run. So, Rich, what's that all about? Oh, bloody hell. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, Matt. The first time I read this, I got, well, I got through the first stanza. I found out, I found out what a stanza was. I got, to the, I got to the end of it. It's hard work. It's really hard work reading poems. You made it sound quite easy then, but I never know. He <laughs> changes line. And I always think, what? Why have you changed the line there, mate? That's the middle of the sentence. So that's confusing. So I found that quite difficult. But like, in terms of what, what this poem is about, right. What's his name again? Andrew, Andy, Andrew Marvel. Andy, Andy Marvel. Andy Marvel. Right, so as far as I can tell, Andy Marvel has got the horn on, essentially. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, carry on, carry on. And he's writing a letter to this girl, and it seems like he's trying to convince her that they should, you know, get down. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that jumps out to me is that he seems very time-pressured about this. Yes, that's very true. So he's in a rush. 
uh, but I'm not sure why he's in a rush. Um, I've picked out some reasons, and you can you can tell okay. whether you think yeah, he's Yeah, let's go. Let's go through. I had one at the forefront of my mind, so let's see whether that's on your list. Number one, uh, he mentions that he he's going to be on the Humber, right? So my guess is is that he uh, is in the fishing trade, and uh, he's got to catch a tide. He's got to get <laughs> he's got to get himself down the dock, prep his boat, and get out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> that's my first reason. Logical. Uh, I mean, so if he's on the Humber, he's probably from Hull or from Grimsby. Those are big fishing towns. That's correct, probably, yeah. From the quality of this work, I'm guessing he's a part-time poet. A full well, he's time. bold. This is possibly the first <laughs> poet which he's ever read. <laughs> so, uh, part-time poet, full-time fisherman. Um, so that was my first reason. But then I was thinking, right, he seems to be quite worried about her looks being on the wane. Okay. Where's that come from? Anything specifically? The last, the last bit. Now, therefore, while the youthful Hugh sits on my skin like morning dew, and there's another bit. Uh, the beauty shall no more be found. Yeah. Right. So I was like, well, he's a bit worried about having this girl in a having this girl. That's a terrible thing to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you um, Andrew Mark? <laughs> for, forming a relationship with this girl <laughs> uh, uh, while she's in a in her prime. Well, she's still got her looks. So then I was like, well, maybe he's sick. <laughs> he's worried about death a lot. Okay, maybe, yeah. Maybe he's sick. Well, he's, um, I mean, he's from the Humber, we've established, so <laughs> his health may be in, in stark decline, is that what we're saying? Yeah, he's probably eaten so much fish, he's got mercury poisoning, that's my guess. I'm not saying anything bad about that area. Rich is just saying they're sickly and they're focused on having sex as quick as possible because they may die. Is that what you're... No, I'm not casting aspersions on all Yorkshiremen. Okay, no, just, just those of the Humber region. And in particular, Andy Marvel, and who seems to be a rival of a scally, as far as he I can. He is, isn't he, yeah. Um, and then I realised that he seems quite worried about being run over by a chariot, so maybe <laughs> maybe he's got poor peripheral vision. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's having trouble crossing the road. I don't know. Well, well, this chariot is always following him, by the sounds of it, isn't it? But at my back, I always hear Times Wigger chariot hurrying near. It's absolutely just in, this, this chariot is just in pursuit. His nerves must be absolutely shredded. Shredded, yeah. That would get you down. I would be in a rut if I was constantly being pursued by a chariot. I think I would have the hurry on for everything I did. Absolutely. Well, particularly, particularly if I were trying to woo a woman, I'd be like, "Chariot, can you? I'm writing something here." <laughs> <laughs> Just give us a break. Give us a break. Just five minutes. Jeez. So, that's, uh, he's trying to catch a tide, number one. Yeah. Number two, he might be sick, but there's no clear reason. He doesn't explain why he might be sick, but we're hypothesising that it's mercury poisoning. <laughs> number, number three, he's, he's fearful of being run over by a chariot. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentions that. Number four, what was my other one? So, she's in India, I'm guessing. Ganges. Yeah, well, she's chilling by the side of the Ganges, yeah. Uh, you did, you, at the top, you didn't tell me what year this poem was, and I didn't look up any background information. Well, you've, uh, you've, you've put me on the spot there, Rich. I don't have the dates at hand, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be in the middle of the 17th century, because um, that's when Andy Marvel was uh, was around. Ah, so it's fair to assume this is the age of empire, is it, if he's out in India. Oh, yes, yeah. Empire-like things, whatever that might be. You know, suppressing the locals, stealing their stuff. Yeah. Apparently trying to shag their virgins. <laughs> well, is, is this woman Indian or not? Oh, well, I don't know, actually. That's a very good point. 
I mean, he says okay. chilling by the Ganges, but doesn't actually specify where she's from. So there you go. There's, I mean, if he's trying to convey information, he's done it poorly, hasn't he? I've just checked here. This, this poem was published posthumously in 1681. Andy Marvel was walking this earth 1621 to 1678. Oh, it's old, isn't it? Um, oh, so I guess she was Indian, but you're telling me that I've, you know, I've maybe rushed into that decision. Yeah. Uh, she could be from anywhere. She just happened. Maybe she was holidaying. <laughs> <laughs> we can go into that. We can go into that later, I think. We can discuss right. that in more depth a bit later. But what are your other, what other insights, what other pearls of wisdom, if I could riff on this poem itself? What pearls of wisdom can you share? She's a virgin, apparently. Uh, so, I've mentioned this already, but that was a time pressure thing, I think, where, I mean, maybe they're all clamouring for a virgin. But maybe virgins are, are rare at this time. I don't know. I wasn't around, but maybe he's just keen to, to be the first. It's not very PC, but Andy doesn't seem very PC. He's well, he's got a tide. He's got a tide. He's got a catch. He hasn't got, he hasn't got any time to mess around. Also, mercury poisoning does send you insane. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it could be that. I think he, you know, I think he's a fisherman, but I think there's also an alternative. Mm-hmm. And this alternative I've taken from the line: "Thy beauty shall no more be found, nor in thy marble vault shall sound." So then I thought, is that a vault made of marble, or a vault in which he keeps his marble. Okay, so that was, I mean, we're all familiar with the marble vault, aren't we? I mean, we've all grown up with the marble vault, haven't we, Rich? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to keep, marble's expensive, if, you're gonna, if you've got a lot of it, you should probably put it in a vault. And I thought maybe he's a marble salesman. So is that, is that, is that like if a neighbour pops round and goes, Andy, have you got any marble? And he goes, just go check the vault. Just pop into the vault. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, could you cover your eyes, please? So <laughs> You don't know I don't know <laughs> so yeah, he might be a uh, marble salesman. Marble salesman, and he might have been in India, you know, trying to find a new supply chain, establish a supply chain. He's gone out there, he's trying to establish a new source, and when he gets it, he's going to store it in his marble vault, and then he's probably looking to set up uh, a new trade. He's like an early runner of Ren Kitchens. He's doing <laughs> tabletops. He's doing all sorts. Um, so yeah, I, that's. That's the other possibility for his job. He's either a fisherman or he's a marble importer, exporter. Uh, he seems pretty keen to give her some cash money. Oh, yeah? I mean, I've been quite literal in this. Does, does he say, I would? is there a line that says, I would like to give you cash money? Well, he talks about her, her breasts and he's, he's putting How a How is that linked to cash? 200 to adore each breast. He's like, I've got 200 here. <laughs> <laughs> and, then when he, uh, and then five minutes later, he's like, oh, another 200. And he's like, oh, sorry, I've got 30,000. Just lay out. So he's, <laughs> he's in a club. He's in a strip club somewhere in the whole region. Yeah. With a, with a lady who's a virgin stripper um, <laughs> and who also may or may not herself come from near the Ganges. Yes. Look, I'll tell you well, what, the mark, the mark ball trade's doing quite well, isn't it? <laughs> Mate, have you tried to buy any recently? <laughs> astronomical. It is astronomical. You can't, can't get hold of this stuff. Um, well, you seem to imply that it's not about money. If somebody says 200 to adore each breast, for me, that's... He's talking that's, about. that's money. Your wife <laughs> is a lucky lady. <laughs> well, well, tell me, what's the alternative? Are you... Uh, setting me up for a gag here. Uh, is this a gag, or have you? Or you just generally believe that it's money? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, you now. I'll tell you now that it's years, mate. It's absolutely years. What? It Who talks it... about breasts in terms of years? <laughs> well, I think you might have. Um, 
glanced over oh, the, the topic yeah. of time slightly too quickly. I mean, we, this is a man who's being dogged by a chariot, no less. <laughs> <laughs> a, dog, a chariot full of time that's just yeah. rattling around. And no. he's, uh, he's saying, if we had a load of time, I'd love to spend 200 years looking at each press, respectively. Wow, that's a long, that's a lot of time spent on one. I, what I would say is, it took me so long to read the poem that by the time I've, by the time I got to this point, I've forgotten what he was talking about. And I saw, I saw 200 and I saw breasts and I was like, well, he's a scumbag. He's just, he's laying them out. He's a, he's from the Humber. He's a fisherman. <laughs> don't keep reading, don't make me out to be a, he's a this, I'm just piecing, I'm piecing, piecing it together. I'm like a detective. He's, a fisher, part-time fisherman, a part-time marble salesman from the Humber, who's in a rush to catch the tide, but yeah. is also at least thinking back to the time he was in a local strip club with a virgin stripper who may or may not come from the Ganges, where he was laying out 200 to have a gander. That's, yeah. that's, that's where we are. That's your interpretation of this poem. Yeah, it is. Um, I would like to pick up, I'll pick up on one point though. I didn't say he's a part-time fisherman, part-time marble salesman. I said he's either a fisherman or a marble salesman. Oh, I don't think anybody would have time to do both of those things. Well, no, because the alternative would be ridiculous, wouldn't it, Rich? Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> he's got he's got a pen poems as well. Runs, and I mean he's very he's probably that's why he's so worried about time. He's trying to run two businesses and write poems. He's probably up. He's probably working twenty-two hours a day. Oh yeah. What else did I pick up? Right. Okay. So you've. You've corrected me on that. I accept that that might not be him offering them. <laughs> that's, that's very magnanimous of you. <laughs> <laughs> and I admit I had forgotten about the time element, which is a shame because I did actually pick up on that when I when I first read it, and I thought he really is worried about time. Yeah, it's, in fact, it's in the first line. It's all about the time. Had we but world enough and time, this coyness lady were no crime. He's saying if we had all the time in the world, your coyness wouldn't be a problem. But we don't, so it is. <laughs> so get on board or f*** off <laughs> yeah sorry about that uh, I so basically all in all I well I didn't really even think about the last stanza <laughs> just just tapped out just too much done well once once I decided that he was paying women for sex I'd lost interest in him in fact this is my last note that I wrote all in all, he doesn't come across very well. He's trying to pressure a young girl into sex and he's using impending death to do so. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's actually fairly accurate, I think. Oh, good. Last Somehow, time. I don't know how you got there. This is like, this is like one of those math things at GCSE where you have a question, it's like show you're working and the, the method is absolutely insane, but you somehow come up with the right answer. I think that's very much what's happening here. That might have been your experience of math, mate. I'm a professional engineer. <laughs> that was my experience of math. <laughs> My work had made perfect sense. Um, and that's, that's what I took from it. I, I didn't like him. He really, he's desperate to, to get it on with this girl. To, I mean, I don't know if he's had much success. I don't know if you know much about his personal life. Long time ago, when I was attempting to woo ladies in Oceano, yeah, I, I, those days, yeah. I rarely mentioned death. I don't know. <laughs> they just sensed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know if it's a tactic you, you've ever used, Matt. I don't think I should be considered a baseline for anything at all, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we shouldn't touch on our private lives. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. That's that's my analysis of it. You clearly don't agree 
with a lot of what I took from it. All I'm all I'm saying is I've got I've got my doubts about his profession and location and many of the other things you mentioned. Nevertheless, come around to what I think is the correct answer. Oh, if there is, if there is a correct answer. So would you would you accept then that that is a lot of words to say not very much? Well, I mean, I mean this is this could be potentially dangerous territory, really. But um, I, I, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of, of women everywhere or heterosexual women everywhere. But I'm going to stick my neck out and say that I don't think a lot of them would necessarily respond to. I'm in quite a hurry. Do you want to get it <laughs> written on um, whatever the 17th century equivalent of a post-it note is <laughs> stuck to their front door? Yeah. It's not very romantic, is it? No. It may, it, it may at a stretch be flattering, perhaps, but it's definitely not romantic. It does talk about... He talk, I mean, he, in a very thinly veiled metaphor, he talks about his willy. Oh, let's go. Let's go into that. I think we have to go into that because that's 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 interesting itself. What bit is he talking about as Willie? So, first stanza for all you, for all of you who are reading along, for all you pros at home, <laughs> amateurs. First stanza, yeah. Oh, where should I start from? I'll start from a couple of lines before that. I would love you ten years before the flood, and you should, if you please, refuse to the conversion of the Jews. My vegetable love should grow. Vaster than empires and more slow. That is gross. So what what we're what we're saying here is, uh, well, you know, I'm going to dig into this a little bit deeper. But what, I guess what we're essentially saying here is that uh, a lot of people think that's just a straightforward vulgar sexual reference, and yeah. that you know Andy Andy Marves here is talking about his vegetable love in the same way we might consider the aubergine emoji, which we all know is the horny vegetable of the smartphone generation. But in fact, there's another take on this, potentially. Are you going to and tell me he's got an allotment? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I think and, Andy Marv's, um, as smutty as he may be, is, uh, he's, he's quite a clever one. And at this time, uh, a lot of people were talking about the concept of natural love. And I think here we might be relating natural love in the sense of the, the physical world in terms of like the way vegetables or plants grow over time sort of with, with the help of love and care, and then spring up like flowers towards the sun. This sort of fits in with this theme of, you know, you're taking a, you're taking a lot of time, coy mistress, but I'm cool with that. I'd like you to speed it up a bit, though. So what he's saying, I think what he's saying here is, if we had all the time in the world, or in the, all the time in eternity, my love could grow as if it were a vegetable over time. But also he's making the point that his vegetable love is growing vast, vaster than empires sort of right now. So let's get down with that. So he's, he's, he's been a bit crafty there. He's saying two things at once, I think. Interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that. I went straight to the penis. It's, you're very phallocentric. Phallocentric. Straight Richmond. Straight for the penis. I think most people would. <laughs> well, apparently not this uh, coy mistress. <laughs> she's uh, <laughs> she's holding back. Ah, oh, this guy, though. If somebody spoke to you like that, you wouldn't be, you would be thinking, I'm not going anywhere near your penis. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean I think we are worlds away from the mid seventeenth century. Um, particularly since you referenced trying to pick up girls in Oceana, for example. <laughs> I, I different times, different environments, different styles, that's what I would say. True, yeah, fair enough. What the the line before that, I don't understand either. I mean it's fair to say I don't understand any of the lines actually, but there's work away. What's that line? Read out that line. 
I would love you ten years before the flood, and you should, if you please, refuse to the conversion of the Jews. What's that all about? This, this is biblical stuff. Oh, right, that's why I don't know. Not interested. <laughs> Lay my religious cards on the table. Don't like it. Yeah, it, yeah, this Justin engineer is atheist. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's talking about, um, you know, the great flood, the biblical flood. Yeah. Um, and he's also, he also mentions the conversion of the Jews, which is something, um, I mean, particularly at that, that time was known to be something that's just not going to happen. You know, the, the Jewish faith is very long standing, is very solid, uh, has very strong cultural, um, elements and ties amongst the Jewish people, they're not going to convert to Christianity because they're Jewish. So he's saying there, uh, until the conversion of the Jews, he's like, I'm happy, to, you know, I'm really happy to wait forever and ever and ever to sleep with you. But the trouble is we don't have eternity. That's his point. He's like, I'm down with it in, in, in principle. But since time is finite, I reckon we should just do it now. I mean, he's very one policy. Yeah, one part, track mind. Yeah. One track mind. He's only focused on, on one thing. It's disgusting. <laughs> Do you have a premier product or sensational service that poetry bloke listeners would love? Advertise with us to reach an audience who loves to laugh, are obviously very cool and sophisticated and have immaculate taste. I mean, they're here listening to this gold, right? So go to poetryblokes.com forward slash advertising to advertise with us today. So, yeah, I mean, is there anything in there that I've missed? There's some other fairly gruesome stuff which sort of fits into his um, one track mind saucy boy image did you notice the worms uh where was it was it near the end it was in the it's roughly in the middle i'd say oh it's, it's, it's by the marble vault bit and when i got right, there yeah. when i got there i started thinking about marble salesman and, <laughs> and, and i didn't really, didn't really read anything else uh right read it to me now matt read it to me uh well let's cover the marble vault because i know it's close to your heart so uh, <laughs> thy beauty Thy beauty shall no more be found, nor in thy marble vault shall sound my echoing song. Then worms shall try that long-preserved virginity, and your quaint honour turn to dust, and into ashes all my lust. Oh, so he's back on death then? He's back on death, and obviously death's linked to time, which is a big one of his big preoccupations because he's got that chariot rattling down on him. Yeah. So what have the worms got to do with anything? So they say... <laughs> Well, that is quite gross, actually. It is quite gross, isn't it? Well, what's that? What's that line saying then? Then worms shall try that long-preserved virginity. I mean, it's claiming that if she go, if she waits to the end of time, and she doesn't doesn't take the Andy route of lovemaking, Randy Andy, then she is going to get effed by worms. <laughs> <laughs> that self-censorship there made it made it all the better. Um, yeah, pr- pretty much. He is basically saying, well, what's the point in living your life as a virgin and then dying? Because the virginity is only going to be good for who? The worms. That ain't good for anybody. So give it up now. Again, <laughs> it's very much the message. And your great honour, your great honour turned to dust. But what's the point in having honour? Because you'll be dead and dust. And into okay. after all my lust. He's like, also, I'm not going to be around hounding you all the time because I'll probably be dead by this point. So what we should all do is just forget about time and go at it like rabbits. <laughs> He's uh, done a, a 360 on the whole religion thing, though, hasn't he? Like, he's saying uh, early on he's referencing the floods, etc. So he's clearly got, and it, I mean, it's 1680-something, so or 1650, where it was. Yeah, yeah, so, sometimes 
Mid-1600s, 17th century. Chances are he's going to be some form of Christian. So I would have thought that keeping your honour post-death would be quite an important thing. So he's willing to chuck that out the window. He's saying, yeah, once you get to heaven, you don't need your honour anymore. It's going to be it's just going to be an F-fest up there. <laughs> he's also sort of saying, he also doesn't talk about himself in any way. He's sort of like, your virginity... I mean, it's important to you, but forget it, because you're going to die. So let's just have sex. So yeah, he's not, he's definitely, um, there's, there's definitely a sort of a superficial level of concern, shall we say, for the recipient of this poem. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a prick, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, there's no way of getting around it. He's not a very nice man. Um, if somebody sent me a letter like this. It would take, <laughs> take you a week to read it. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I'd go to his. I'd go to his showroom and try and buy some marble. But I, I, I mean, from what he's describing, I don't think I'm his type. Uh, so, last stanza, right? Now, didn't go into this in too much detail, personally. Did you say you gave up on the end of the poem because it was you got to the marble vault and then it was sort of done? Yeah, I got to the marble vault. And yeah, from that point on, I was thinking about how great it would have been to import and export marble, and I. Did a bit of research on how one might do that. I went off, <laughs> went off on a tangent, and um, it's—I mean—it's not actually that profitable. It's very expensive to to own a mine. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> not for me. Not for me. I'm going to stick with my current job. But anyway, the point is that I didn't really read the final stanza, so I don't have a lot to say about it. And I picked up a little bit about the morning dew, and I here it seemed to be that that he is worried about her losing her looks. That's where I got this bit from. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's that's fairly accurate. They're, now, therefore, while the youthful hue sits on my skin like morning dew, yeah, it's like, again, it's the time thing, isn't it? Is that while you're looking tip-top, let's definitely go at it, because <laughs> later on, maybe uh, the opportunity won't be there. That's essentially what he's saying, isn't it? Neither of us getting any younger. Let's crack on. Um, he brought up Birds of Prey. Yeah. Again, interesting. Yeah, another saucy, uh, another saucy image there from old Andy. Amorous birds of prey. It's going to be quite a. Um, he wants quite a torrid time of it, as it were. Yeah, I, when you see birds being amorous, it, it's not a gentle. Um, have you ever, have you ever seen chickens? <laughs> no, not, go on. I mean, they're not birds of prey, but when they're going at it, it's horrendous. It's. When did you see chickens have sex? It's just something I know about. Don't, <laughs> don't press me on it. Don't judge me. But it's like, it's not even, it's rarely consensual, let alone, let alone enjoyable or romantic. He's got his, his opinion of, or the, his desire for the way this is going to go. Sounds, he wants it rough. He does want it rough, doesn't he? There's a bit of devouring going on and, uh, th- rolling up all our strength and sweetness into one ball. It's very, uh, evocative. <laughs> it's not, presumably he has two, two balls. He's not playing on just, <laughs> Using the one. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe two of them together would be like a ball, Rich. More, less, less, less testicular focus. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> and tear our pleasure with rough strife. What's the rough, I don't understand that, rough strife. I think that kind of, again, insinuates he wants a bit of, you know, a little bit more than slap and tickle, shall we say. Something a little bit more vigorous. Really? Yeah, tearing yeah. our pleasures. Absolutely disgusting, isn't he? And then in the end, he's just back onto time, isn't he? Iron gates of life. That's death. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no you're spot on. Carry on. I was listening. Yes. In, I was listening in rapt uh, <laughs> engagement there. 
And then the end, right? Bear in mind, this is the first time I'm reading this. Uh, Thus, though we cannot make our sun stand still. Yeah. Yep, you can't make. Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> Yet we will make him run. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a bit of a tricky image. I would say that he's probably relating that to the sun in the in the day. So you can't stop the sun from moving. From you can't stop time from progressing. So the best that we can do is uh, sort of make him run. Sort of while away our the time that we do have uh, together in our rough strife. That's essentially what he's saying. And this sort of, um, I don't know if it is a direct reference, but there, there are other references going all the way back to like sort of Latin poetry and uh, Catullus and Ovid about um, the sun and, and enjoying the fact, enjoying the time that you've got now because it's going to, you know, it's fleeting. And, and I think that's very much uh, Andy's shtick here. Right. Did you look into Andy Marves himself or did you find out anything about the school of poetry he belonged to? I didn't know there were schools of poetry. Uh, wow, this is a learning day. What like, a happy day. Like Hogwarts? Very much like Hogwarts, yeah. You're, a, you're a poet, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's knighted and then he flies off in his broomstick to write poems. To be honest with you, I did no research on Andy. I called him Andy the Marvellous and read this one poem and then I just got on with my life. I, th- I, th- I don't even think it's fair to say you read this poem. I mean, you missed <laughs> the last answer. <laughs> come on. This, <sighs> this is the most poetry reading I've done in 20 years. I mean, it's right. good. You've got a lot there. This is beneficial for everyone concerned, I think. I mean, I do understand this is probably like when you um, start talking about engines, and we're not going to start talking about engines, Rich. We're not. But um, I feel that that's probably... This poem is to you like, uh, yeah, like like an engine or anything requiring grease is to me. Yeah. Uh, other than road bikes, which are really cool, and we can talk about those a lot, but maybe some of <laughs> um, But yeah, Andy, old Andy Marves, Andrew Marvel, was part of uh, what's known as the metaphysical school of poets. Uh, and they were all sort of knocking around in that sort of 17th century. Okay. They were all about mixing emotion with um, coy wittiness. So they loved loved a bit of wit. And I think Andy Mars does that. He's very crafty with his vegetable love and all the rest of it. So if I think wittiness, I think humour. And is there humour in there? I mean, mean, he's he's being a bit cheeky, isn't he? He's being a bit cheeky. I think that's the humour. Because he knows, don't forget, this is like 400 years ago, right? So, or 350 years ago. So there's a lot of... um, cultural references that this lady he's writing to is going to understand and that he understands and he's sort right. of saying oh you know yeah it's like i said earlier like if someone if someone pops an aubergine emoji in a chat at, uh you know at a certain point maybe in uh in the proceedings after you, you matched on tinder or hinge there, there, there's a there's a bit of there might be a bit of little cheekiness there and i think that's what andy miles is doing here but um just 17th century style right okay so they're mixing mixing emotion with wittiness I mean, I think in this poem, Andy's very much, you know, I don't know if horniness or the horn is an emotion, but I'm pretty sure Andy's taking it as one. And that's that's where he's, <laughs> that's where he's mixing us the weakness right here, isn't it? He's 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 up for it. He likes this girl. She's she's being a bit prim and proper. She's being like Rich Cochran, basically. And she's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know all about this. And he's like, nah, go on, because we'll be dead soon. That's the upshot of his poem. Right. OK. And that, so that was a whole there's a whole school of poetry where they made jokes about their penises. 
in relation to vegetables? Well, I mean, I mean, maybe is that I was going to say that's too direct, but then again, maybe it's not really. I mean, they they they, they did like to put odds, weird, contrasting images together to shock the reader. That's kind of their that was kind of their thing. So you're like reading right. this, shit, and then you're like, oh, this is all about. Okay, he likes this. Girl. Hang on a minute. What's this vegetable love doing? What's he doing with that love? What's that all about? <laughs> so I, I think that was very much a theme of the metaphysical school. Okay. They, they also liked exploring paradoxes, and obviously the big paradox that they touch on in this poem, which you rightly picked up on straight away, is um, time or infinity versus infinity. So he's obsessed with the fact that there there are these concepts which hint at infinity, like virtue or or, or, or whatever. This he sort of makes references to obliquely. Um, but also the finity of life in that we don't have eternity. We're human beings and we will die at some point. So he's always he's always exploring that the tension between those two things by often by saying to this woman to flatter her. Oh, you know, obviously these these concepts are, are great and I'm totally on board. and I, I sort of agree with them. The only problem is it's that time thing again, isn't it? We haven't got the time for it. Um, so he explores that quite a lot. OK. <laughs> So you didn't pick up on that. Didn't pick up on this paradox. No, you sort of did, to be honest. But it's, it's more it's more the cultural stuff that um, is not always so so obvious in poetry. You have to sort of read it in the time it's written. I mean, yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? Is that in order to read this poem, you have to do yet more reading. Yeah. Stick it in the diagram, mate. <laughs> How? No, let's not explore that diagram. Um, yeah. <laughs> if there are any women, listen, if there are any people listening to this podcast, but if there are any women, Rich has basically just said that. Romance, seduction, and love can be <laughs> reduced <laughs> to a diagram. Um, and I can tell you that Rich is married. Um, I was so... going to say, mate, which one of us is married? The guy who likes the diagrams. So maybe my way is the way. I don't know, man. Maybe my, my way in the vegetable love way has got, <laughs> got its merits. <laughs> uh, who knows? Uh, so is there anything else I need to know about Andy Marvel that would give me a bit of context about him and maybe help me if I were to reread this poem, which I won't? But if I were, give me a bit of background on him, a bit more info. Yeah, so um, I did do a bit of reading on Andy Marvs. And he um, worked for Oliver Cromwell, who was Lord Protector ah. at the time. Um, but Marvs, although he obviously did write poetry, he became sort of more famous at the time for um, his biting satire, uh, particularly of the monarchy and of the church. Um, so obviously they got rid of Cromwell and then uh, Charles II came in. And it wasn't all smooth sailing, shall we say. So, yeah, he was a critic of the church. He is considered one of the best metaphysical poets. And he basically spent a lot of his life traveling around, as sort of rich people did back then, traveling around, working as a tutor to various rich people's children uh, before coming back to England and eventually getting a job in the government on the uh, sort of sponsorship of his mate, John Dryden, who also happened to be a great poet. So um, I think he became... Um, the, I forget the name of the title, but I think it was Minister for Latin. <laughs> that is a great title. It's a great title, isn't it? So, yeah, pretty good for a poet. Uh, and and that, that was that, really. He's not, he's not necessarily one of the most well-known from that period. For example, John Dryden's probably more famous than Andrew Marvel. But, um, yeah, definitely, definitely well-respected for his, um, um, his insight and his witty cheekiness in general. So what you're saying there, then, is that he was neither a fisherman nor a Marvel salesman. According to my sources, I could not confirm that he either had a shipping or fishing business <laughs> or was a marble salesman. Was he at least from Grimsby? Uh, yeah, he, um, I think his family did come from Hull. Or the, the oh, Hull yeah. yes. I mean, so they must have, they must have been fishermen. 
Or, or were they well to do? I think. Well, I don't actually know much about his his family. They must have been fairly well to do because um, Marvel got you know sent to university and all the rest of it. So they must have been fairly well to do. But maybe they did have their hand in the old uh, fishing business. Yeah, I reckon they probably did. So, would you like to hear my poem overview? Yeah, just for the just for the benefit of the tape. Um, after reading the poem, uh, Rich has written and will in future write uh, a brief overview of his sort of his takings of the poem, and uh, he will explain it in a language which is more familiar to him. So I'm going to hand over to Rich now for um, the overview of to his coy mistress. To his coy mistress by Richard Gochran. To the hottie over there. Stop being so shy. Can't you see I've got a hard on? I'll pay you. We're all going to die, you know. So let's do it now before I have to get back to Yorkshire to manage my marble emporium. Bye, Andy. <laughs> the worst thing is it's not even that far off. <laughs> uh, it's actually quite accurate. There you go. See? Proof that poetry could be reduced down to... Well, I did, I did what he did in like, loads of lines in five. There you in go. five lines? Five lines. Efficiency. That's the benefit of an engineering education. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason I selected this poem is because it was on the GCSE um, syllabus, which was, that's an exam uh, in the UK if anybody from outside the UK is listening. Uh, so you basically study it when you're about 16 years old. So I thought that would be a good one. And obviously, the, it was the AQA syllabus, by the way. If anyone's like 32, 33, 34, they'll probably remember it. Uh, and obviously, that uh, AQ, people at AQA uh, thought, do you know what? We're going to put into an anthology for 16-year-olds. What about a poem about someone who's really horny and someone who <laughs> isn't, isn't quite sure whether they want to have sex yet? So I wouldn't want to be the teacher for that one. I mean, you could go through it with you, all well and good. But having to teach a room full of 16-year-olds about vegetable love and what that could mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. I imagine, like me, that's what they focus on. I imagine they go straight to the penis metaphors. Absolutely straight there. Well, look, I mean, it's been really, it's been really good. And I think next time I'm, I'm going to be slightly kinder to you because I'm aware that I chose one from the middle of the 17th century. So I'm going to go for a uh, a war poem. But I haven't quite decided which war poem to do yet. Um, so I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that up in the air. But it's going to be it's going to be a war poem. So either a first world war or second world war poem. Cool. Uh, so thanks very much, Rich, and thanks to everybody listening. Uh, this is poetry, folks. Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview that you'd like to share. And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, you definitely have to tell us about that. So go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know all about it and you can play a part in the next show. This podcast is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Danny Garlick. <laughs>